the financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. All right, good to start. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I'm Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And Jonah, it was, uh, well, we're actually at that crazy time of sports where all four of them are going at the same time. Hockey season starting up. Basketball is here. The NFL is five games in. Major League Baseball is in the playoffs. Um, and boxing. boxing. Boxing, yeah. Fury Wilder. Hopefully some folks had a chance to go see that at Amherst Pizza and Ale House. Uh, they had uh, the free showing of the pay-per-view there. I would have been there if I didn't have to go to Kansas City. And it turned out to be a good fight. I, I don't really care for either of those fighters, uh, personally. Uh, and the end result was what I expected, but I didn't see how it was going to get there. That meandering back and forth bout where Wilder was clearly the overmatch fighter, but still scores a big knockdown. Um, it was, uh, it, it was one of those fights that I think uh, I would like to have seen. And, and I can't say that too often. Well, I did happen to stop by Amherst Hill house and watch that fight. And it was Maybe the best fight I've ever seen, at least live and in terms of on pay-per-view. And, and really? Watching. I haven't seen as many great fights as you saw. I ordered some Tyson fights when I was young. There's other, I know there's more better fights and more classic fights that I've watched on tape. But I mean, watching a fight live that I either ordered or went somewhere to it's watch. It's not often that each fighter gets knocked down. So that adds to the drama that even if one fighter is way ahead on the scorecards, that, the, uh, that he got knocked down, you always think there's that puncher's chance that, that Wilder – is going to be able to end this fight at any, any second, even though he's hurt and he looks like he's, you know, the Beetle Bailey scribble after Sarge got done with him in the old comic strip. Um, but you, so it you enjoyed as it. as good as you could ask for, I think, for a fight. And I didn't pay $70, but if you were to pay something like that on pay-per-view or you devoted part of your night to watching it, I think it was as good as you could ask for. Competitive back and forth. There was history and animosity and the rivalry. And if it wasn't the most, skillful boxing exhibition and other people can answer that better than I can. It was one of the more entertaining fights. And I watch a lot of fake fights in professional wrestling and UFC fights aren't fake, but I've watched some of those cards and it was as entertaining and dramatic of a fight real or fake that I've ever watched. And hopefully it, for the sake of boxing anyway, that it captures the imagination of some of those casual fans who are maybe willing to give it a chance for a couple of reasons. Number one, the pre-fight promotion was rather obnoxious uh, with the, the back and forth, the insults between Fury and Wilder, very personal. Uh, and I really don't know how genuine uh, Fury was being throughout that. If it was like Ali and Frazier, did he really mean what he was saying? Or is he just trying to sell the fight? 
either way, I've, Wilder took it personally, um, but either way, uh, it probably brought in some people uh, that normally might not have watched the fights and all these celebrity uh, matches that have been going on and getting people worked up, you know, the Paul brothers and, and whatever, uh, the exhibition, the Tyson exhibitions and these different weird things that are going on with boxing that are at least getting people to maybe willing to give that heavyweight fight a chance and not feel burned like, like Fury Wilder two, which was just a, you know, total, you know, donkey of a fight. And uh, so at least this one came through for the people who spent their 70 bucks that, that maybe they'll be willing to, to give the next one a chance too. I did wonder that if some of the thriller fights, the Jake Paul, Logan Paul, I was going to say Jordan Paul, that's not one of them. Chris uh, Paul. Earlier, Chris Paul earlier this summer helped as much as they were a farce in the sporting sense of boxing, they brought some juice back into the sport as an entertainment product. And I do wonder if it reignited some fans and reinvigorated the sport a little bit. And that may, it seemed like the buzz for Wilder Fury three was bigger than uh, the, the rematch in that trilogy. Well, and you need the how the second fight went. I, I wonder, you know, sporting wise, that shouldn't have been the case. Right. Well, you need the legitimate fights then to come through. If you're having the Logan Paul fight, you know, if that gets you going and you then want to give real boxing a chance and Fury Wilder is a dud, then you say, you know, screw it. I have just as much fun watching these exhibitions and you don't, you know, invest in the legitimate form of boxing. So the fact that Fury Wilder three came through, uh, I think is, you know, and you don't know what you're going to get really. I mean, it's, there's no, you can't plan it. You can't strategize that if you're the boxing institution, if you're the, um, you know, if you're the, bo the boxing industry, you can't just man, because even two great, great fighters in the ring together can give you a bad fight. Uh, so yeah, I think it's just happenstance that this fight happens at a time uh, or comes along at a time when people are at least peaked, you know, they're at least willing to, to, to take a look at it. Um, let's not get too far into the podcast without bringing up uh, what the bills did in Kansas city. And um, it was, it was thoroughly impressive. I was there at Arrowhead stadium. I think that the bills uh, in the way that they beat the chiefs uh, 38 to 20 was the final score. And at times it felt like a bigger blowout than that, even though the chiefs were within two scores late later in the game. And Emmanuel Sanders even said it himself, Oh Lord, we got a game. You know, the worry that comes in uh, when the chiefs cut it to 11 points. Um, the bills just kept outpacing, outpacing, outpacing. I think it really is a changing of the guard. Uh, and I know that it's not full revenge because the last time the chiefs won, it got them a trip to the super bowl. Uh, so from a tangible standpoint, this victory really is just a tiebreaker and one extra win that the chiefs don't have. Uh, at the moment. So it's not total revenge on what the chiefs did to the bills last season. Uh, but I do think this makes the bills squarely the best team in the AFC. And they have a chance to follow up in a game that will be difficult. Uh, in fact, I think that the bills can lose this game and we can still rationalize it as an, as a, as a tolerable loss Monday night against the Tennessee Titans uh, before they hit their bye week And, um, I don't see this as a letdown game, Jonah, because 
what the Chiefs, uh, what they were able to do in Kansas City. They now have to go on the road again in prime time. I think Sean McDermott is going to have these guys focused. It is one of the great skills of Sean McDermott to have his players ready every week. You now are, are, you won't, I, I don't think you'll see a letdown from the Bills in a sense of, okay, we just beat the Chiefs. We put so much into the Chiefs that, oh, you know, we can take a breath. I think it's perfect for the Bills that they have their bye week after the Titans game because it allows Sean McDermott to reset these guys and say, okay, now I need you to give us everything you got this week because then you can take your break. Then you have your, your week off. I need you to regather. I need you to get all, all oars in the same direction, so to speak and take care of the Tennessee Titans, uh, the favorite to win the AFC South, and to knock off another, at least going into the season, another contender on their field in prime time. Then you can take your break. And then the Bills, this is where I'm actually concerned. And we could talk, I know I'm throwing a lot of different uh, talking points at you here, Jonah, but where I would be concerned about a letdown is after the bye, because then the Bills come back and they have Miami at home on Halloween at Jacksonville, at New York Jets. So heading into the November 14th game against the Indianapolis Colts, the Bills could be in thorough, thorough command in the conference. Yeah, well, I do think there's some letdown potential. And maybe if the Bills see it coming, they avoid that. But the bye week coming might have a natural instinct to look ahead to the time off as anybody does in any job. And the emotional high of not just what the Bills accomplished on Sunday night, but going into that game, the rematch of the AFC Championship game and that game being a benchmark for whether the Bills were the new team to beat in the AFC or not, it's hard to get back up for the next game in the same way that the Bills were able to do for this game. However, the fact that this is a team that beat the Bills last season and you have a little bit of that revenge factor and another team that's been a contender in the conference and so you can manufacture that belief that this is another measuring stick proving ground game. And the bye week coming up, as you mentioned, might focus them a little bit. That's like, let's get through this game. And then we have two weeks off to rest and repair. Also helps the bills that they're not coming out of this heavyweight fight that they had with Kansas city injured and bloodied and beaten and bruising that, you know, Matt Milano didn't play, but it seems like he's on track to maybe come back. And there really weren't any other significant injuries after the game. So the bills are in good position to give their best effort this week and then have a week off to focus on the remainder of the season. Yeah. Tennessee Titans just manhandled the bills 42 to 16 last year. And that is the game in which the Titans hadn't been practicing for, I think it was 10 days or something ridiculous Um, because of COVID concerns. uh, They had too many players test positive, shut down the facility. And I remember making my prediction on uh, the Buffalo kickoff live uh, pregame show Uh, that the Bills, if they didn't just destroy the Titans in that game, then you can throw all of the long-held romantic notions about football out the window, about practice being really important and your routine and getting your players into the right mindset and all that stuff. The Titans had none of it, came into the game, and the Bills look lost. Um, And so you're right, and I'm glad you brought that up. The Bills can look back on that as a huge a huge gaffe, a blunder of a game for them last year that they just were totally unprepared. Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, Brian Dable, in all their meetings, they can say, you know, capture their, he could capture everybody, everybody's attention pretty quickly when you throw, uh, throw the film on from last season. 
And as good as the Bills look right now with the wins and the margin of victory they've had and different power rankings have them, well, all the power rankings pretty much have them as the best team in the league and the statistical ratings that Bills have maybe never been this good at this point in the regular season before and definitely not in the last few years. If they lose this game in Tennessee, they're right in the thick with some other teams, Tennessee being the Titans being one of those teams that could be four and two. And the race to get home field advantage in the playoffs is not over yet. Even though the Bills look like the best team in the AFC and they maybe have separated themselves from Kansas City record-wise and with the tiebreaker, uh, they still have uh, 12 more games that they have to win you know, nine or 10 of them, I think, to be certain that they're going to be the number one seed, get that by and have home field potentially for the AFC championship game. You know, the Bills, of course, have not faced a running back like Derrick Henry because there is no other running back like Derrick Henry. Here's a stat I saw uh, today. Uh, Derrick Henry in his last 40 games, 4,792 rushing yards, 47 touchdowns. (laughs) That is the most in a 40-game span uh, in NFL history, uh, going uh, beyond what Jim Brown was able to do from 1963 to 1965. Um, Number three there is O.J. Simpson, correct? I think I saw that stat yesterday. That could be. uh, I only have the two right here in front of me. Uh, That could be right. right. And that's the, you know, 73, 75 stretch where O.J. really, um, you know, had 2,000 yards and dominated the league. Yeah, it's uh, so this is special what uh, what Derrick Henry has been doing for a long, long time. Um, the Bills will have their hands full, of course, uh, with him and they uh, they'll be challenged. Now, they did very well in gearing up against the Steelers run game uh, in week one. Uh, didn't allow uh, them to do anything really on the ground, but since then have not necessarily faced much. Yes, you can say Washington has a couple of good running backs and they were able to do some things out of the backfield in the passing game. Um, yeah, that's about it. You know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire before he got hurt was doing okay. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the Bills do to recalibrate for the run game. I think you'll probably see Harrison Phillips dress. Uh, he was, you know, the Bills wanted to act obviously come at Patrick Mahomes in waves with its pass rush. So they wanted to keep their edge rushers fresh. So Boogie Basham was out there. Uh, and um, Vernon Butler and, and Harrison Phillips uh, did not dress in that game. So I would expect to see a little bit more uh, in the middle to keep those defensive tackles fresh. Um, it, it's a big test for the run defense, and especially when you compare it to last season when uh, Star Latule didn't play, and that was a, a season-long weakness for the Bills, although they actually did a pretty good job stopping Derrick Henry in the matchup last year, and it was – Tannehill running the ball and throwing to the tight end and things like that to hurt the Bills a bit more than the running game we thought would. But it's still, you know, probably the best rushing offense in the league, one of the best rushing offenses in the league against a team that still needs to prove whether it's better against the run than it was last year. Because to this point, the Bills have showed no weaknesses on defense. You know, there's been other years where they rated highly on defense and the team was winning, but you had some issues covering tight ends or you saw some weaknesses and holes here and there. And that hasn't been the case right now. They're getting to the quarterback. They're stopping to the run. They're coveraging. They're getting takeaways. So at this point, the Bills have played almost perfect defense. And if they can do it again against a team with a much different offense than the one they just faced, that really bodes well for this being a dominant defense season long. Yeah, you don't want to take a look at where a team ranks in rushing defense because that is uh, yards per game. 
on the ground. And of course the bills have been scoring 40 points a game uh, and uh, teams have been playing from behind. So they're not running the ball anymore. So of course the bills are going to rank quite well in run defense. Uh, But let's take a look at yards per carry. So you could say, Oh, well, maybe they're still having trouble. If we take a look at it, run for run. No, only three teams in the NFL are allowing fewer yards per carry than the bills. That's the Cleveland Browns, New Orleans Saints, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Bills are allowing only 3.7 yards per carry. Uh, So obviously that number, well, I don't want to say obviously. Uh, I think it's safe to assume that number is going to go up, I think, with Derrick Henry. Um, As it stands right now, I just wanted the football outsiders rush DVOA, which controls for a little bit of those. Uh, you know, usage and game script factors has the Bills as the number one rush defense in the NFL, number one pass defense in the NFL, too. That's how dominant they've been in, you know, defense as a whole this season. Derrick Henry, how, how obscene is this? I just want to take a look at uh, Derrick Henry's season stats. He has 640 rushing yards already <laughs> through five games, uh, seven touchdowns. Uh, yeah, uh, that's <laughs> So even if they want to gang tackle him, even if they want to try to eliminate him from the game, uh, you know, the Titans still have a pretty talented quarterback in Ryan Tannehill. Now, of course, he's not the fact that he runs the ball is what what really gives him a multidimensional feel. He's, he's not a, a traditional gunslinger, uh, but, you know, the the Titans, when they have A.J. Brown and, and Julio Jones healthy, uh, they have the ability to throw it, too. So it's not as though the Bills can afford to or well, they can maybe afford to They'll just stack the box and and assume that they're going to be able to to handle things. But it's um, it's an interesting dynamic to go from the freewheeling, uh, you know, chuck it down the field chiefs to uh, to the Tennessee Titans. It's almost, you know, to use you know boxing analogies, it's like going up from going up against the boxer versus and then in your next fight, the slugger. And some, some fighters have trouble adjusting to that, or they just happen to be good against one and not the other. Um, The bills uh, obviously are going to be tested in a different way. And if they're able to win this game, then I think it only galvanizes their stature as, as the team to be not only in the, in the AFC, but maybe in the entire NFL. But if, if they don't win the game, I guess it depends how the game goes and different factors there, but does that, raise any doubt or is it a loss like week one against the Steelers where you just kind of brush it off and say, this is still a good team that has had other impressive weeks to me, to me, it's not the outcome of the game. It's how it happens. So if the bills lose, I'm not willing to say that if the bills lose, then X, if they win, then Y, Um, although any wins a good win, you could say that, but if they lose a close one or they face some adversity Maybe they have a couple of turnovers early and they mount a comeback late and they barely lose uh, as opposed to having a big lead, giving it up or just getting thoroughly boat raced. Uh, there's all kinds of ways that I think the bills can lose this game and still be able to justify or rationalize it as okay. Internally and from the fan base, because Tennessee's a good team and it is another road game. Um, you know, the bills will be playing back to back on the road in prime time. I know I keep saying that, but there's a, there's a lot of stress factor with that. And, um, right. Back to back road trips doesn't really fit into the letdown narrative, but is something that could affect the bills this week. Well, a letdown just because the chiefs have such a reputation and the bills were underdogs going into that game and they're favored this week. So technically the bills are supposed to win this game. Uh, so if they were to lose it, 
Yeah. I mean, you could say if you want to take a hardline stance of it's bad because they were supposed to win the game and they didn't, but there are all kinds of scenarios that you could see happening in which they face adversity and just maybe fall short. Um, that I, I don't think that a loss in the sense, like you said, takes you back to those feelings you may have had after the Steelers loss and thinking, Oh, geez, maybe we had these guys wrong. Well, I don't think we can say we've had them wrong after we just watched them dominate Kansas city after they posted shutouts on teams that granted they were not good teams, Washington, or excuse me, uh, Miami, especially after they lost to a tag of Aloha, and then Houston two shutouts in the three game stretch. Yes. Junior varsity caliber com- competition, relatively speaking, but it's still incredibly difficult to shut out a team in the NFL that New England Patriots couldn't shut out Houston. New England Patriots almost lost to Houston. So to be able to shut out two teams in a three-game stretch, to totally annihilate Washington, to beat the brakes off the Kansas City Chiefs, even a loss, I think you're going to look at it, look at it as you know a blip probably. Um, now, if they were to lose or have trouble coming out of the bye with those weak teams that I mentioned before, the Dolphins again, although Tua should be back, but they knocked him out of the game pretty easily the last time, um, overwhelmed him. Uh, Jacksonville and the Jets. Now, if they struggle there, well, then, then, get, then get concerned. I think the concern might be more if Tennessee shows a blueprint for beating the Bills or slowing down the Bills' offense in a way that the Steelers might have done, but we haven't seen anybody else follow that blueprint so well, and the offense has played great in the last four weeks since. But if there's another game script where Tennessee shows ways to frustrate Josh Allen and slow down the offense and that other opponents down the stretch can do the same thing, I mean, it's, it's, in a way, it's what we've seen happen to the Chiefs now. That could happen because as good as the Bills look right now in, at going into week six, you know, the Super Bowl is week 21 or week 22 if you got that by, but the Super Bowl is, you know, that many games away. Things can change, whether it's injuries or other teams emerging as a threat. And even in the X and O's battle, um, the Bills might not be in the same situation and dynamic with the other teams that they face in January and February that they are right now. Yeah, I think if you're the Buffalo Bills, everybody on that roster uh, should be pretty ecstatic with what they've been doing, uh, with the exception of Cole Beasley. I wanted to ask you about him, Jonah. Um, you know, we seem to talk about him quite a bit, and he makes it easy. He's, he, he, it's, it's there. Uh, you, know, you have a guy on a team who's, you know, winning. Um, big victory, and he, his body language on the sideline, uh, because he's not playing as much as he thinks he should, uh, he locks his Twitter account after the game, probably because he doesn't want to have to worry about seeing uh, any, any tweets from even Bill's fans who he thinks boo him. Um, and I think they're booing him too. I don't think it's bees as much as people. I, I think I can, I can discern the difference between bees and boos. It sure. Sounds well, there's like there's definitely some boos. It's a mix and it's a little it is. bit hard. It probably is. But still he's, he's, he's upset that he, he had one catch in the game, I think, or he doesn't want to hear about from fans saying, we don't need you take a hike. Uh, we have Dawson Knox now and Emmanuel Sanders and Gabe Davis is better than you and whatever else he might be facing on Twitter. So he de- deactivated his account. I predict that will be reactivated. I don't think he's gone. He's done this before. Um, but your, your thoughts on, on the Cole Beasley uh, saga. Well, 
I'm not sure what to make of it quite yet. You know, I, well, there's two different things. There's the overarching Cole Beasley saga and the things he says on Twitter and his obvious anti-vaccine statements where he says he's not anti-vax, but he's pro-choice or pro-freedom or whatever he's attributing it to. But I, would, I wanted to ask you, do you think that – how related are those two things? How related are these issues with Cole Beasley and the fans and the league and the vaccine and, and the protocols and this and that and the other related to – him not playing as much and being a lesser part of the offense over the last few weeks. I think it's zero. Right. I mean, I don't think if he's on this roster, Sean, they don't keep a guy on the roster who's a potential distraction um, and then just bench him or punish him. I mean, maybe if they deactivated him and he's healthy, but that was not the game plan. They wanted to go with two tight ends. They went with some weird, um, Uh, personnel groupings. Reggie Gilliam was on the field a lot early in the game. Isaiah McKenzie was on the field as a receiver. Tommy Sweeney was out there. You know, they were doing a bunch of things to try to confuse the Kansas City Chiefs, and it was working. And I think we saw Josh Allen feed Stephon Diggs a couple games ago, in which you might wonder, you know, you don't want to lose Stephon Diggs uh, because Dawson Knox and Zach Moss and Emmanuel Sanders are getting all these key uh, touches that are turning into touchdowns. And here you have your all pro receiver whose numbers are down, um, not by his fault. It's just the way the offense is going. So I think we saw Josh Allen kind of force some passes to Stefan Diggs against Houston. Well, you can do that against Houston. You can't do that against Kansas city. And if you have a game plan that you think is going to beat Kansas city, you don't want to let up at all through the final whistle until the clock says zero colon zero zero. And, you know, Josh Allen mentioned that. And I I don't think it it was a little bit of hyperbole. Well, can you have a little hyperbole? Maybe that's an oxymoron. Um, I don't think he was exaggerating much when I asked him. (laughs) Just perbole um, or just bully. Uh, When, I asked him in the news conference, when did you know that this one was going to be different? And he said, when we were kneeling it out. Uh, And so you don't put Cole Beasley on there in a couple of possessions late in the game. When you're trying to run out the clock, you're not going to be throwing it to your slot receiver anyway. You just want to run the ball, make Kansas City use their its timeouts. Uh, The other thing, too, that is of note, and I'll maybe get into this uh, someday. I um, it's, it's fascinating to me. And this came up a couple of years ago. Um, in a discussion that I had with Sean McDermott and how he handles his victory formation. Um, Notice how the Bills use their victory formation. A lot of teams, when they get out there, the running back is behind the quarterback. When the Bills do it, it's the safety. Jordan Poyer's done it before. This year so far, it's been Micah Hyde. Uh, And this stems from a conversation that I had with Sean McDermott. And uh, we've talked about doing a story on it, he and I. Um, anyways, I'm, I'm teasing too much or I'm, I'm being a little too coy, but the reason that the safety is back there is because he's going to have to make a tackle. That's the whole point of the victory formation is to, is to save a victory. It was popularized after Herm Edwards miracle at the Meadowlands when the Eagles, you know, scooped up that Larry Zonka fumble, uh, Mike Pisarczyk misfired. Herm Edwards scoops it up, runs it in for a touchdown. Well, now there's this victory formation that the NF, that football has used for, for decades. And the purpose of it is to put the guy back there, the guy behind the quarterback. His job 
if it happens, if disaster strikes, he's got to make a tackle. Well, why on earth would you want a running back back there? Why would you want Devin Singletary or receiver sometimes back there? Stevie Johnson used to be that guy back in the day. Why would you want Stevie Johnson to be the one to have to make a tackle? So I had a discussion about that with uh, Sean McDermott one day. Two games later, there's a safety back there. Uh, they've gone back and forth. But anyway, that's my long-winded that's, way of that's saying That's what I want to ask. I mean, the so, way I heard it, you this was your X and O wrinkle that you, you gave the Bills. It, it, it was. And uh, I, I, it was. I'll just leave it at that. But the reason I bring it up is You call it the Graham formation now. Micah Hyde was out there even late in the game because they, they that's how, and they, and he has been, he was out there against Houston and Washington too, but we're going to make sure Kansas city doesn't score a touchdown here. We need to lock this game down. Sorry, Cole. We can't forge. We can't force you a, a few passes. We're not going to feed you here on these last three series. Uh, we're not putting Mitchell Trubisky out there. Like we had the previous two games when we're, you know, kicking in the the Washington football team's doors and the Houston Texans doors. Mitchell Trubisky, go out there and take, you know, go ahead and play the last five minutes. No, no, Josh Allen was out there. They needed to make sure they were going to win this game. Uh, so Cole Beasley doesn't get his touches. Sorry, wasn't in the game plan. And at that point of the game, we're not screwing around with making sure everybody feels included. This isn't romper room. This is a football game against the best team in our conference, and we need to win. And – Cole Beasley's going to have to wait a different week. Beasley's also losing targets and snaps to Dawson Knox, who's playing much better and a much bigger part of the offense. And well, I he's, not lo- he's not losing snaps Lining up the receiver a bit more. But I think he's split out wide. Maybe, maybe they did that not a lot. Not losing snaps to him, but he's losing, he's losing targets for sure. Yeah, because Knox's snaps have, have, have remained relatively the same every week. So Beasley's is going down because of other guys, like Gilliam, like McKenzie. Um, and, and Sweeney, like I said, Sweeney hasn't been used too much. Sweeney was out there in the first quarter quite a bit. Um, but that I wonder if Knox is being used in a bit more of a slot receiver type role on some of these plays. And that's putting Sweeney and Gilliam on the field where Knox or another tight end would have been playing in the past. But also, I mean, Cole Beasley is only a couple weeks away from having a very good game against the Redskins. It's not like he's football totally team. being phased out of against the offense. football team. Sure. Yeah, you're correct. Right. Sorry. Um, but you know, he, he did play well in that game and he's probably not an afterthought on the offense, but it seems like there's other players and other formations and other strategies that the bills are obviously rolling with and they don't need to force feed the ball to a guy, even if he wasn't all pro last year. Jonah, speaking of slurs, uh, I didn't have this on my I, list. You know, I regret saying that. I wish I didn't say that, but I know, I know. It, it did bring up a thought of mine. I'll let you go, and then I have another thought I want to throw Well, out. I was going to ask you about John Gruden because uh, Jewish people are about the only group I have didn't see that he offended in his uh, emails. Well, we didn't see all the emails, you know. We, there, maybe we should just assume that there is a reference in there. Uh, that it, but it, the, the reports were misogynistic, homophobic, racist. We, I didn't see um, anti-Semitic in there. So maybe that's a feather in his cap. Yeah, and I think my thought on that when I saw the different tweets and or the different emails and the different things he said is Josh Gruden, John Gruden might not be racist, misogynist, you know, homophobic so much as he's like your drunk uncle that says crazy things all the time and listens to 
crazy who's racist. Radio and repeats racist. And it's mis- right. There, there's an element <laughs> right. of racism there, but it's not his racism fueling it. It's his idiocy and just saying dumb things and just being, you know, having dumb opinions and knee jerk reactions. And yeah, I, I'm not trying to let John Gruden off the hook, but what I'm saying is, you know, it just was a hodgepodge of some of the worst opinions and the worst thoughts that somebody could have and then expressing them in somewhat of a professional work email setting. I mean, you know, I think anybody in almost any position would have to lose their job over that, especially someone in a high profile leadership position like that. He has the first openly gay active or the first NFL player to come out while in the NFL on his roster. Right. Yeah. And maybe I'm making this point sloppily, but I I didn't read it as much about being anti-gay, anti-black, just anti saying the right thing and anti-political correctness. It's almost like he went out of his way to make all of the offensive jokes and statements that he could make. Like maybe he was doing this, maybe this was what it was. It was fun making Bruce Allen uncomfortable with all these obnoxious opinions when he was out of the NFL and maybe felt like he could say whatever he thinks. I mean, is this what John Gruden emails everybody all the time? He's the Andrew Dice Clay of, uh, of Monday night football commentators. Right. Um, Okay, so you had a point you were going to make before I brought up John Gruden? Well, I was wondering if you want to go down this road, but I was doing – I was looking at something, and it reminded me – I don't know, this is a discussion for another day. I don't know if you really want to get into this, but the, the appropriateness of the nickname Buffalo Bills to begin with, and, and as we are evaluating whether certain nicknames are racist or appropriate or not, Indigenous Peoples Day – Buffalo Bill Cody get, first got his nickname for killing Bison or Buffalo, which is a bit ironic that a Buffalo team would then be nicknamed after that. And then he was known as, you know, the Indian hunter and an Indian killer in different wars. And so I do wonder, I read your story about Lancaster and changing their nickname last week. That's one thing that got me thinking about it. And then I wonder if we are ever going to have this reckoning or, or why we don't have this reckoning about, the Buffalo Bills name. And I know there's differences, but I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts, because you had done that kind of reporting recently. Yeah. I, and we've talked about this before, right? Um, what, what's your, give me your. Well, so um, this the, stems from the Sterling Tavern. Did you see what they put out? It was a bit of a, well, it, was, it was a very kind of insensitive and rather racist post about the Bills beating the Chiefs and let's celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day and some problematic language, but I'm thinking that got me thinking, you know, Hey, just celebrating the Buffalo bills on indigenous people's day might be a little bit inappropriate. Well, how about uh, the town of Amherst and who it's named after? Right. That's another one that (laughs) the guy who, the guy who delivered smallpox blankets to uh, native Americans or that he was at least the mastermind behind it. Yeah. I mean, and is that did he do anything else? Is there anything redeeming about Lord Amherst, which is why so many of these towns and villages are named after him? Or is it just the smallpox blanket that earned him all this notoriety? Well, he was a, he conquered, uh, you know, a bunch of areas and uh, that, yeah, anything that Lord, the Lord Amherst hotel, which changed its name eventually. Um, but yeah, it's all named a good old Lord Amherst came in with the, uh, the critical uh, strategy of uh, giving native Americans uh, diseases to wipe them out. And uh, the, one of the largest suburbs in New York State is named after him. Um, so, yeah, the Buffalo, 
bills, you know, I, yeah, I, I mean, I could get there um, just the same as I can get here with, you know, the Cleveland Indians. I got my hat here. I wear it for some podcasts. I, uh, but we got there with the Cleveland Indians. I am. Well, sure. But I, well, okay. So I was of the belief have been of the belief uh, that Indians was fine. Chief Wahoo was obviously racist. I've never worn, or at least not as adult. I imagine as a kid, I had something that had Chief Wahoo on it, but uh, I made a conscious effort to avoid anything that has Chief Wahoo on it um, in, in anything that I get with the Indians. Um, and then when I was interviewing Samantha Nephew, who is uh, the former Seneca Holdings uh, spokeswoman, I interviewed her for the story that I did on Lancaster High School and I had interviewed her before on Washington football team's nickname. And I asked her about it and she said, I'm, I want to, I want to get rid of all of it. And because why, why is this race acceptable to be used for these purposes and none other? And I guess you have the fighting Irish and the Boston Celtics, but you don't get the imagery that comes along with it. You don't get the, the problem is that the Cleveland Indians begat chief Wahoo. The Atlanta Braves, proud name, fine, uh, but has Chief Nakahoma doing a rain dance after a home run back in the 70s and the Tomahawk Chop. The Kansas City Chiefs, a regal name, no imagery from the team itself, but they promote the, tom the hot Tomahawk Chop in the stands. Um, what you know, what is your thought being there when, when that's going on in the stadium after you know the story you just reported? I'm sorry? I mean, what was your thoughts being in the state? Well, I think it's, it's ridiculous and they should get away. They should do away with it. And I, I you know, the NFL has taken some steps in, in banning face paint and headdresses and things like that at Washington and Kansas city. Um, but then to have the sound guy, you know, that what, when you do that tune that people do the tomahawk chop too, somebody who works for the chiefs is flipping a switch to get people to do this, this gesture that offends a lot of people. So, um, so that's why I, I can get with, okay, Cleveland Indians, they played their last game. And, and this was after talking with a, a native, you know, Samantha nephews of Seneca. And she said, I want to, I'm fine with getting, she said, I think the phrase she used was I'm fine with doing, with getting rid of all of it. Meaning why should we be picking and choosing what's acceptable and what's not? And why, especially why should I, Tim Graham, white man, uh, be picking and choosing? Well, Indians is fine, but not Chief Wahoo. So, yeah. So this is now a throwback Cleveland Gladiators hat. It doesn't have any Indian uh, designation on it. It's just a C for Cleveland. So I get this is no longer a Cleveland Indians hat. It's a it's a it's a throwback Gladiator or Guardian and, Guardian. And I'm sorry, Cleveland Guardians. Buffalo Bills. I'm still getting used to that. Doesn't cross that line, or because well, I don't know what, what is a bill. Okay, we're so we're, we're Buffalo Bills okay, so yeah, so that's why I can get to Buffalo Bills. I guess I can see a path in my mind to Buffalo Bills. But when I think of Buffalo Bill and all that stuff, that's the Howdy Doody guy, right? Is it really the Buffalo Bill of from the that's frontier? Where the name comes from, though, originally, because it was so popular westerns, I think, at the time and things like that. Right, um, and maybe you could still be the Buffalo Bills and you disassociate from that history and your logo, because the logo doesn't really have anything problematic about it. So maybe the that's old, why it's not. If you take a look at old AFL programs from the Bills, it is the frontiersman with his rifle, you know, on the back of a, of a bison, you know, charging after whatever, a tight, a New York Titan or a Boston Patriot or whatever. Um, 
it's probably a bigger problem associating and promoting with mafia imagery and the team being complicit in that now is probably a bigger issue, I would think. Right. Um, I didn't know if you wanted yeah. to go down that wormhole. <laughs> I didn't bring that up. I'm willing, I'm willing to, but yeah, I think I, I should, you know what? And it's the team I cover and I should have a thought of that right off the top of my head, whether it's to say you're full of shit or yeah, you had a point. Um, I'm of the mind as I am with most topics. I, I don't know because I'd be open to, like I said, I can get, I can have a path that gets me to, all right, let's change the bills. Bills are kind of a stupid nickname anyway. I mean, what is a bill? Like people say, what exactly. is a bill? But of course, everything's tradition. You don't want to change it. Just like the land people in Lancaster. If you were to talk to Bills fans about changing this nickname, they'd be mortified. It could be the Buffalo Billies, Billy Goats. The shout song is incredibly silly and small time, but it is ingrained in generational DNA here. You can't change it. The, the Miami Dolphins song, th same thing. The Miami Dolphins, number one, which actually was not just the Miami Dolphins song. It was a song that the guy who wrote that one did it for a bunch of teams. The, the Steelers had the same song. He just changed out the team name. Houston Oilers. Um, anyway, it's like um, Lee Greenwood and is uh, proud to be an American, which is also proud to be a Canadian. But anyways, uh, the Dolphins song, incredibly small time. Um. But they tried to change it a couple of times with a the rap. They, they tried a Jimmy Buffett version of it down there because they thought that would go over. The, and it, it doesn't stick because the fans want the old silly, weird tune, whatever. And they got rid of the shout song for several years and the fans clamored to have it back. And I don't think there's a single fan in the stadium on Sundays that doesn't want them to play the shout song after touchdowns and field goals. Field goals, right. They're doing, they do it on the planes. You know, I travel the, the planes when I go to a road game are filled with bills fans. People do it at weddings and they scream it on the plane while we're up in the air and people are trying to sleep and bills fans are half in the bag at 10 in the morning on their outbound flight. And they just want to party. Oh, at weddings for sure. I do know some people who've had it on a do not playlist at a wedding. You know, they make sure to tell the DJ we do not under any circumstances want to hear the shout song at the reception. But then there are some, I've seen bridal parties walk into the reception to the shout song. Where do we go from here, John? I don't know. It's hockey season. You know, the NHL drops the puck tonight. Share with me your, uh, your, your preseason Sabres thoughts. You've, uh, you've been covering the Sabres. Um, you've covered them in the past. It's been 12 years since I, well, boy, 14 years since I've covered them. Um, any chance that the Sabres can surprise some teams, and I don't say and make the playoffs, are they going to be competitive this year? Well, I covered the preseason finale on Saturday against Detroit. Well, I attended it. I didn't write anything. And I'll be covering three of the first five home games coming up, Saturday being the first one. And I got vibes from that game that the Sabres will be better than a lot of Sabres fans think they might be or a lot of analysts think they might be, and they still might be one of the worst teams in the league, but I think you're seeing a I, – I saw that I think this team's going to be competitive and play with a lot of pride, and in much the same way they finished last season with Don Granato as coach, that they will be a tough team to beat on certain nights, and even if that doesn't mean a very good record, it 
could mean a better than last place record, which is an improvement from a year ago, an improvement from many of the recent seasons. Now they do have issues with goaltending and maybe on defense too, that could really hurt their chances of winning games and doing well in the standings. But I think you're going to see a team that plays better and is more competitive than they were for much of last season under Ralph Kruger when it really got to be a mess in the early and midway point in last season. And, you know, there were issues with coronavirus affecting the team and different pauses and things like that. The talent is probably not where it was. or It certainly is not where it was a year ago, especially without Jack Eichel. The Jack Eichel situation hangs over the team a bit like a black cloud, but I don't really think that's going to affect them on the ice. I think it might help some players galvanize a bit of playing without uh, their captain or playing without a captain, not going to have a captain this season. They have two alternates uh, as it stands right now. Now they could trade Jack Eichel and get new players in here that change the dynamic. They could trade different veteran players away that, uh, you know, cut the knees off the season. But I don't, I guess in the long way of making this point is I don't think this is going to be a tank season where the franchise is intentionally trying to lose where the coach, uh, even though Ted Nolan was trying to win in that season, I think the combination of Granado and the young players trying to prove themselves and what they have as a team will make them trying not to finish in last place when maybe the future of the franchise is better off if they do finish in last place. But we'll get a good sense of that. Their second game is against the Arizona Coyotes, which might be the other worst team in hockey. So we can see very early on whether the Sabres are going to be a last place team again or not. Anyway, Jonah. I think we've talked long enough. We've got a lot of uh, Bill's Chiefs talk. Got One last thing people want to know, though, is, is what did you do during the lightning delay in Kansas City? Um, I ate a lot. Uh, thankfully, at Arrowhead Stadium, they, uh, they took care of us uh, when it come to food. So I uh, went out uh, into the media lounge area like away from behind the press box seats and sat there with Josh Reed and Matt Beauvais and Ashley Holder Eric Wood came out he didn't have anything to do because they they ran out of things to talk about chatted with Kim Pagula for a little bit you know killed time ate drank about four cups of coffee peanut Nothing butter exciting. and jelly did you get any of that didn't get any of that it's all going to be a whole new thing, isn't it? Could be. You know, before we go, Jonah, I should ask you about uh, Amber's Pizza and Ale House. I mean, we talked about the fight earlier, but what uh, what was the scene like in terms of energy and uh, what, what was it like over there? It was energetic. That's a good way to describe it. It was a a crowd that I think wanted to see some blood, and they got some blood in that fight, and they, everybody enjoyed it. It was a long, competitive back-and-forth fight, and it was – worth the trip out to watch. Well, Amherst Pizza and Ale House sponsors the show. So I always like to take a moment to let everybody know that they can go there to watch all the college and pro football games. And now that we're in hockey season, they have Sabres games. They have all kinds of specials. Uh, I don't know that John Bonner, the, uh, the owner, uh, is entirely thrilled uh, that he made this decision many years ago, but I think it's half-priced pizzas and pitchers until the Sabres win the Stanley Cup. Uh, but uh, Amherst Pizza Nail House is at 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off of Millersport Highway in the 990, so it's easy to get to. A ton of TVs, indoor and on the patio, while the weather's still good. You can, uh, even at night, uh, while we're enjoying these 80-degree uh, days, 
uh, get out there and even watch the night games out on the patio. Recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. Jonah said a lot of energy, and it's where Jonah and I go when we're done covering the games on Sunday, home games, that is. So stop in or call for takeout and delivery, 716-625-7100. Amherst Beats and Alehouse, one more time, I'll give you the number, 716-625-7100. Amherst Beats and Alehouse. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and is partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. And see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.